The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not that of the GUI Media Network or associated brands and sponsors. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity, because clothing is a prison and society will not cage me. In a world with too many reboots and remakes, two men will stop it on nothing to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, cycles, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from film, television, and what have you. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Dundee. We're off, kids. We're, we're off of work. So we're off yeah. to see the wizard. <laughs> we're off to... Uh, Yellow Brick Road means something else if you go into a cer- certain clubs uh, at night. Uh <laughs> It's, I've uh, had a friend that has got has tried to get me to watch that movie for years, for like a decade, Yellow Brick Road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not going to do it. I consumed so much Oz-related media, but not that movie, not yet. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, I, it's up there with a Serbian story uh, for shock value. Oh, Serbian film, yeah. Whew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Serbian film is like top... Top of the list, pretty much, of most disturbing uh, imagery that you can see in a film. Um, and yeah, did not choose that director for Wizard of Oz. That would have been... <laughs> that would have made for a very interesting adaptation, for sure. But uh, for those unfamiliar... We'll, we'll get him in there somewhere one day. One day, one day, yeah. Uh, for, for those unfamiliar with Smack and Pitch Up, we uh, take a turns casting, fan casting, uh, different properties. So for this one, we're doing Wizard of Oz, the classic... Uh, film and, and book that we are taking a crack at. We, we're going to both have a chance to do one that we think might actually be a working way of adapting it or, or remaking it. And then just throwing spaghetti at the wall, <laughs> seeing what sticks a, just a and weird seeing what sticks. Yeah. Seeing uh, what weird remake and, we can come up with for, uh, for this property as well. So it's, it's, and then of course, afterwards cleaning off the wall with some Lysol, maybe a little rubbing alcohol. Yep, and then talking into a fan, uh, which is the part where we do our trailers. So, uh, <laughs> good times will be had by all. Uh, much like this film, Wizard of Oz, was a cinematic experience back when it came out. It was right around the era where black and white and color was uh, was shifting. Like, it was shifting into the color world of uh, the filmmaking. And uh, Wizard of Oz paid kind of an homage to that in the film, which was really cool. Very cool choice. Oh, it took full advantage of it. It It is such, you know, oftentimes older movies don't hold up uh, to your modern sensibilities, but the Wizard of Oz is still such a, a lush experience. It's beautiful. It's still dazzling in its own way. Like the practical effects really dazzle uh, still for me. The oh, Technicolor really dazzles still for me. Everything is such high contrast, bright, like full colors that it just, it pops. It makes it, the, the scenes in Oz so surreal that there is a timelessness to it. That you, that you, oh, don't, yeah. you don't care that the trees are paper mache, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't care that the, the, the flying monkeys are definitely on ropes and you don't care. Like, it's just, it's fine. It's all, 
it all somehow works because it's so surreal in the first place. Oh, it's it's awesome. And actually, so the Wizard of Oz is right before they started using uh, blue screen and green screen. Um, actually, going down that rabbit hole, I watched the first movie that they use blue screen in because the Wizard of Oz inspired a couple other movies. But uh, there's like a scene in the Wizard of Oz where there's a like a toy, the witch flying out of her castle. And you can tell that it's not the witch, but it looks great. Uh, almost everything in the movie is a well-considered practical effect, and mm -hmm. it looks great. You know, the people suffered to have those practical effects, like people got sick and poisoned because of heavy makeup <laughs> and asbestos and all kinds of things. But seeing it on screen, you're like, it's almost kind of worth it because yeah, this is it's a cultural benchmark of cinema. Definitely. I mean, this is really showing off like so many other films in, in, in this stock of uh, showing off the new bells and whistles that were available at the time. That's like the star Wars of it all, or the Jurassic parks of it all, where there's these technological leaps that these movies are making that even years later, you see all these knockoff movies years after the first movie that don't look as good as the movie from like Jurassic park is from 1993. And those effects still mostly hold up really well, which is insane. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. But that, that doesn't count because it's Steven Spielberg. Yep. <laughs> you, you look at movies that came out in like 2012 and the special effects are like garbage compared to the 1993 Jurassic Park. But then you also look at like virtuosity. Well, it's because and, they don't have to try as hard. Yeah, true. They don't have true. to try as hard. Yeah. So they, so they don't, they don't, try, they don't, it's not as well considered because they don't, they don't feel like they have to have it because it's easier to do it. Yep. Whereas yeah, Jurassic Park, they were trying to kind of, they were trying to prove something. <laughs> they were trying to make their mark. So, yeah. Yep. And yep. We yep. can do this. Remember the originally Jurassic Park was going to be stop motion. And they invented new technology to make that not be stop motion. And I feel like that's, that's some of the feeling that you get from watching the wizard of Oz. Definitely. Yeah. That you're, you're seeing just a movie that is so far ahead of its time when it came out. And, uh, so what was interesting is thinking about how, we go about adapting this is that, you know, what was the original trying to say and what of that do we want to keep uh, or what do we want to kind of protect with any kind of reboot or remake it is that it's more than just a technological experience. It's also as so mm -hmm. many other movies after it, it's this exploration as to the, the, the kind of uh, archetypes of people that we have in our life and what they mean to us. You know, there's these uh, mm -hmm. characters that are, in her real life in the black and white world. And then they become other characters uh, that are representative of how they are in her life, in her real life. And that's been used in a ton of things uh, ever since. But, yeah, uh, no, it was, it was definitely the, uh, the, the prototype for that, that thing. And it, it's kind of brilliant because that's, that's not from the book. That is a, a device that was invented for the movie. The whole, um, having Oz be kind of a, a dream or um, like the product of, of head injury is a product of the movie. And it's, it makes it interesting. It, it changes the stakes a little bit. Sure. And it does to a degree, leave a kind of spinning top at the end of inception, like open-ended way of feeling about it, whether or not Oz exists, or if it is just this dream, this, you know, this fantasy world that, that Dorothy dreamt up, they don't really answer that question. They just let it hang out there. And I, 
don't think a lot of movies at that time approached films that way. That's pretty common now to leave the op- the open end to a movie, but not so much back then. Yeah, one of the movies that I watched because of The Wizard of Oz, because there were two big movies that were influenced by the success of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, movies made for children, but for all ages, with kind of a budget and kind of effects-driven. One was The Thief of Baghdad, which was incredible. The Thief of Baghdad's awesome. If you haven't seen it or haven't seen it recently, definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the other was Shirley Temple's Bluebird, uh, which is not that great. But uh, <laughs> the Bluebird uses that same framing device where a child goes to sleep and has this fantastic dream and wakes up a changed person from the experience of having uh, had that that experience in their dreams. Um, so it is a really effective tool. Like they saw that it worked in Oz and they tried to use it for themselves. Was it effective in the Bluebird? Uh, I don't know. I didn't really care for the movie, but yes, it is a very effective tool. Yeah, I have not seen Bluebird. Thief of Baghdad, it was one of those movies that it was like on the list of important movies that I had to watch like as a teenager. Just you go down the laundry list of like uh-huh. all the Brando flicks, you know, all the, you know, you, you just have your your mental checklist of things that are just so important that you have to have that in your mental Rolodex. And, but I don't think I've seen it since. So I, yeah, I think I might have to revisit that one. It's on Tubi. So is the, uh, the Bluebird. They're both on Tubi. Uh, check them out. Nice. Interesting benchmarks of cinema. I was uh, looking at a lot of the more, you know, kind of eighties on era of uh, filmmaking that definitely used the wizard of Oz as a, uh, as a touchstone uh, for the way that they're going about it. You know, there's, there's the, uh, Bridge to Terabithias and um, of it all, uh-huh. that which of course you know they're they're kind of looking at a fantasy realm, even to a degree. The line, the witch in the wardrobe, the the story itself does have a lot of the uh, the same elements as uh, uh-huh. and I do recognize that that is of an older era as well. Those the, those books, but there's there's something so I mean, even Harry Potter has this you know you you belong to this fantasy realm and this real realm kind of divide. Um, that's a, a little more thin than Wizard of Oz, but it, 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 it's become such a, just a trope that movies use it all the time. This like fantasy realm that you belong to kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, easy tools from the Wizard of Oz. Yep. Thank you, Frank L. Baum. <laughs> the thing was figuring out for tone and for director for me was how to incorporate those fantasy elements but, and, and modernize it without it being like a modern take on wizard of oz you know there's a timelessness to the original that i think needs Uh to be protected and even if you have it take place in modern times you don't have to make it like have that modern film feel there you i wanted to still approach it with this kind of like timeless fantasy fantasy um could take place in any decade kind of feel that the original one has um and so that's one thing that i'd made sure to think about when uh doing my my uh director and theme uh, for this role. Are you keeping things like as a timepiece or are you modernizing it or what are you doing with yours? So the, uh, the, the, the influence, the inspiration for my commercial take is actually the book itself. The wonderful wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. From 1902. So the, the kind of setting is a turn of the century uh, setting. Um, that's the the time place. So the timelessness is just that period of time that the original book uh, was taking place. That's the biggest aesthetic inspiration 
I was looking at around the era that that it feels that this story is taking place in in the movie, which is it feels very Dust Bowl, you know, uh, Great Depression era kind of vibe to it. And I considered uh-huh. I considered keeping it kind of as a period piece, but then I started thinking about like the challenges that we are starting to deal with now and will be dealing with uh, for an uh, undecided period of time as far as like. <laughs> Uh, problems with the weather and uh, the economy and, you know, the fact that a, a pack of chicken costs $25 now um, that <laughs> there's a lot of modern day conversations. Woe is us. Yeah. Right. But there's a lot of modern day conversations that we can, you know, if you want to talk timeless, that does mirror some of the challenges that people were running into in the, in the depression era. We're not there yet, but I mean, if you just kind of speed the, up the clock by a few years, you can have that conversation. Oh yeah. A hundred percent true. hundred percent true. Um, that Dust Bowl era influence that you take from the, the visuals of the black and white portion of the movie. Yeah. That is, that's kind of a give me. I, I never even thought about that, but yes, that does, that works really well. Yeah. So this is, I guess, technically set in like a slightly dystopian future, but the future is like, I mean, I'm talking like five years. Uh, it's not like the distant future. <laughs> this is one of those movies where it's like just the future. Yeah. Just the real, like not that far from now future. And those movies always freak me out. Cause it's like, it's so close to real that you're uh, mm-hmm. like, Oh no, this is, this is how it's going to happen. Um, so yeah, this is taking place <laughs> in like 2028 20, or something. Uh, my, my movie. And uh, yeah. So your turn of the century. Yeah. Mine's, like I said, like 1902, turn of the century-ish. For mine, as I was saying, it does take place in just a, a few years from now. And the basic tone of the world is that it's not like apocalyptic, but it is challenging. The weather and patterns have changed a lot, which is causing uh, crops to die. There's uh, food shortages. There's shipping issues, just like the shipping issues we're dealing with today. Um Crops that they are having, like, are dying before they, they're going bad before they get to where they're supposed to be going because of all the challenges with, like, uh, yeah, sh- shipping, like, the, the same stuff we're dealing with now. Uh, so there's it, it's just all these problems are compiling upon each other and creating more challenges. Unemployment's going up, like, significantly. It's just a tire fire. There's a, a more exaggerated version of the tire fire we're currently in. And so here we are in the American Midwest. Um, this is a uh, smaller farm that Dorothy and her family are on our own. And they're finding themselves um, behind on their mortgage and the bank threatening to take their home. And they're having trouble, you know, like all the other farms are having of getting enough product to make enough to be able to keep the farm. And so that's where they stand. Now, the difference with the character relationships is that uh, Gilda, the character of Gilda, uh, that is going to be both the the good witch in the fantasy realm, but is also going to be Glenda or Glenda. Yeah, uh, that that's going to be her her mom. Um, and her father had passed years before. Um, and then the Tin Man is a, another farmer that is has a nearby farm to her family that also lost his wife years before. And he helps out um, her family regularly. And he's just this like sullen, you know, quiet dude. 
that uh, helps out the family. They they're kind of work together because they're both struggling farms. There's this kind of like unspoken connection between Dorothy's mom and Hickory or the Tin Man, uh, who's the neighbor. But uh-huh. he's he's broken from. They're both kind of broken, but you know, Glinda is healing a little bit better, you know, and is as missing companionship, whereas um, Hickory is the Tin Man is kind of turned off to that. And in addition, there's Miss Gulch or the Wicked Witch uh, that is works for the bank and has her sights set on on Hickory on the Tin Man this romantically <laughs> and notices the connection that Hickory and uh, and Glenna have and is jealous of that. So that's why she's so hell bent on getting the farm is because she sees the mother as competition. So there's like a kind of a love circle thing happening there, but it's very, it's subtle. It's, it's unspoken for the most part. It exposes itself a little bit more in Oz. Uh, that's where that conversation can have a little bit more room to breathe. Uh, the other characters of Oz uh, and the farm are kind of the same. They're, they're either hands that work on the farm or family members like Scarecrow. I decided it was going to be Dorothy's older brother. Who's a dumbass and just doesn't, do his chores the way he's supposed to. He doesn't contribute like he's supposed to, but he's a nice guy. He's just a big dummy. And uh, <laughs> then Zeke, the cowardly lion, uh, that's just somebody that's been working with them. You know, he's he's wor- worked the farm with them for decades. This is definitely going to have a, a quieter fantasy vibe to it, that the, uh, the environment is going to do a lot of the acting for these characters. And... So you're setting up this very sepia-toned, muted color feel to Kansas in in the in the Kansas part of the story. So it's not black and white, but it's very very bleached out or like with a little brown a little tone. Desaturated, yeah, desaturated as hell. It looks just it looks wet and and muddy <laughs> in every frame. It's got kind of like a the road vibe to it. <laughs> Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. It's not that far off from Kansas now. But then <laughs> as the the twister happens and, and you get caught up in, in the twister and you end up in Oz, Oz has this very more modern take film style of fantasy where everything feels kind of um, enlarged by 3%. You know, everything seems just ever so slightly bigger uh-huh. than it than it does in the real world. And everything has this kind of like, almost smoky quality to, to the, the shooting style. And, uh, Dorothy's you know, surprised by it. And, you know, the, the, the normal story of the wizard of Oz starts to take place from there. But as she meets these characters, there's a little bit more of the relationship she had with these characters in Kansas that are, that is showing through than the original did, you know, that scarecrow is her brother. Um, and, uh, Zeke is a, basically kind of like a would be an uncle type character to her, and uh-huh. then uh, then you've got the Tin Man, which is Lee Pace, where Dorothy is wants her mom to be happy and sees this this Tin Man as a person that is you know strong in character and and somebody that she can depend on and somebody that she really kind of needs in her life, but it has a broken heart, and so through their adventures together, she's trying to like heal the tin man uh through just having the comfort of like friendship and and you know community uh with all these characters so that's what heals the tin man's heart towards the end but uh <laughs> so is is a large part of the focus on 
on their relationship versus like the entire gang or to a degree it's honestly the the basic direction that i'm trying to go in with with this is that dorothy has um her eyes set on moving away from the farm at the beginning of this she's you know early to mid teenager like probably like 13 or 14 and uh she hates her life on the farm um the farm is like struggling really hard so like her mom isn't around a whole lot um even like her quote-unquote uncle like the Zeke uh, is not available a lot of the time because they're doing the best they can to get whatever crops they can uh, save to uh, to make ends meet. And so she is lonely and she hates that life and she wants to escape. And, and also like her brother and her just fighting all the time. So there's no connectivity that she she's craving on the farm. And so this journey is more about her finding that commonality that she has with her brother and recognizing that he's not necessarily a dumbass. He's just, he's a teenager. He's like an older, he's like, er, like late teens, like 17, 18 years old. So he's at that age where he's focused on what he's going to do with his life. And he's just riddled with hormones and he's distracted. So it's not that he's a dumbass. He's just, well, he's as much of a dumbass as anybody that's 17 or 18 is. Um, and so, her getting a better understanding that this is, you know, that her brother loves her and she loves him and they do have things in common. And, you know, those family things that you just can't get away from that are just built into your DNA. And uh, it's her finding that relationship again with her brother. And then at the same time, trying to show, well, healing her own relationships, show the Tin Man that there is uh, strength in finding, you know, in finding connection with people that you don't have to like separate yourself away from everybody. Nice. The cowardly lion Zeke, that's more of just like the person that has their own challenges within them, themselves. They've, um, they, they're super friendly and love community. And that's not a problem that they're dealing with, but it, it's that personal like confidence that they're lacking, that they, um, they don't believe in themselves. And so they've always just been kind of like, you know, Zeke is great at the biology of uh, farming, uh, you know, all the, all the science that goes behind it. He's insanely smart, but mm -hmm. has never pursued that like in a, in a real, like non field hand kind of approach to things, even though the, with the family, even being supportive of it, it was like, now, like I'm happy here. And so it's like him finding the confidence in himself to like, believe in himself is his journey. But at the same time, he's there for everybody else as they have their journey about finding, finding family basically. Um, and so the, the breakdown of the characters that I wanted it to be representative of like, um, of who would be possibly cast by the director, but also, uh, I wanted it to be able to have that conversation also about like the, the, the impoverished classes of people in the United States, that conversation that actually like, as you go into the like lower income classes of people, there is more diversity on who you hang out with. Mm -hmm. It's when you get into the upper tiers of, of financial success that you see that there's a significantly less diversity. So it, it's not a, like a hammering in there kind of statement by who I cast, but it's just this kind of little background statement about, um, you know, the pores, the pores stick together basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, so for the casting list, I, I, went with Dorothy. I went with Daphne Keen Fernandez and you may know her for, as uh, her role in Logan. Uh, she was, uh -huh. uh, yeah. was it X 23 
and her, his dark materials. Uh, she's so, a little bit older now. Has she been in other stuff? Yeah, she's actually in the current series, His Dark Materials, which is based on the Golden Compass books um, that has Lin-Manuel Miranda's in it as well. Uh, so she's done fantasy before as well. That was part of my consideration for her as the uh, as Dorothy, is that she definitely has a very different tone of character between Logan and His Dark Materials. And she's also in a series called The Refugees, which I'm not familiar with, but just from what I've read, it looks like it's it's being received very well. So she's a great mm-hmm. actress. Uh, she has emotive abilities beyond her years uh, that I've seen with the roles that she's been in. Uh, so I think she'd do a very good job of um, kind of being the the soul of the story for somebody so young. Uh, then we've got the wizard or oh, pro- yeah. Professor Marvel as it as it is uh, in the casting. And you you want somebody that's vaguely European or at least transatlantic that has this ridiculous level of like poshness to them without it being cartoonish. And I think it was kind of especially since the director had worked with him before, Ben Kingsley is. Uh, I think a fun <laughs> choice for the wizard. I think he would do, he does a thing with his eyes where his eyes get big without looking cartoonish that I think would be very uh-huh. fun uh, just for a shot of him doing that to Dorothy who then like kind of grins like she's not intimidated by him at all. Uh, whereas other people are. Yeah. I can, I can envision his wizard directly oh, what, too. That, right. That yeah. Like well. I, I can see it in my mind already. And then we've yeah. got uh, for the scarecrow. That's her older brother. Zolomera Duena. He's in uh Cobra Kai uh, as uh, Miguel. He plays Miguel in nice. Cobra Kai. I think he also just got cast as, I believe it's Blue Beetle that he's going to be playing in uh, <laughs> <laughs> TV I'm or not movies. I'm entirely sure. I just remember reading uh, like a headline or something about it. But he's, I, I think, has an, a future. That show is not exactly the most well acted show in the world. So I would like to see him in, a, in roles where you can actually <laughs> compare him to. We yeah, can stretch. He, he has room to not be this like cartoonish character. Uh, so I'm going to put him in this fantasy <laughs> movie, you know, uh, where he, he doesn't have to act as cartoony. I don't know. But I think he would be fun as just the, like the well-meaning, loving, but kind of aloof um, and not paying attention like older brother. I think he would do a really good job with that. And then yeah, uh, this was, I thought, an interesting choice for the Cowardly Line. I decided... I was going to go with Tyler Perry because though I'm not a big fan, I, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the Medea movies. I'm just not my thing, but I have seen him play like even more in more current movies. He'll play these little small roles sometimes like he was in the Star Trek remake randomly. He was in, he was in there for like yeah. three minutes. He was, it wasn't a big role. He's been a random authority figure in a yeah. lot of stuff. He's like the head detective, all kinds of stuff uh, yeah. of that and nature. There is a warmth that he has to him that I did want to follow up, but also I, I could see him having that internal struggle struggle of, and he's also a gigantic man. Um, he's, he's massive. Yeah, he's so I dude. thought it'd be interesting to cast a, a larger person, like tall, big person uh, to play this person that has this self doubt and is like kind of nervous all the time would be, an, in, in an interesting uh-huh. contrast there. Then uh, the Tin Man. Uh, this is somebody that has worked with the director a couple times and a fantastic actor. And I think playing the like haunted, quiet hero kind of role, uh, I think Lee Pace would knock it out of the park. And uh, and he's also oh, done yeah. like a kind of cowboy accent in uh, one of the in one of the movies he was in with this director. 
and so he could do like an American accent. I don't think he needs to go as hardcore as cowboy for this, but he 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 doesn't have to have a British <laughs> accent necessarily. Doesn't need Benedict Cumberbatch p- power the no, dog accent. Not quite that level. Which actually, you know, different uh, themes, but uh, I'm getting similar vibes from your take uh, with uh, that and power. I mean, of the tonally, dog. as far as like the the idea of like small farm energy, I, it's not that far off, honestly. Then we've got Glinda, which is also her mother in this, and got a Castelma, love her to death. She's so warm. She's so kind <laughs> and lovely and, and incredible, great comedic time and great, at, like, just, of course, over the moon, lo- love her to death. Would yeah. Knock it out of the... Yeah, she's sparkling, and she is a literal angel. She is, uh, she, yeah, she's a magical yes. woman. <laughs> so I think it, it was a kind of a no-brainer choice for me there. And then uh, for the Wicked Witch and Ms. Gulch, I this is just a, a personal choice uh, because I needed to see it, and I don't. I think it would be work great, but it's also a little nail on head, especially since they recently were given tons of accolades for playing a cackling witch, uh, Catherine Hahn. I, uh, I I had to do it nice. for the Wicked Witch. Uh, her cackle from WandaVision uh, is as Agatha is incredible is absolutely wonderful. I adore it. And uh, I think she would uh, have so much fun in that role while still being able to give it nuance. And uh, so this film isn't really a funny version. There's going to be funny moments like here and there, but it's definitely more of like a drama uh, vibe to it. And uh, I I wanted a director Mm -hmm. that played in the fantasy world before. Uh, This is actually a director that directed a couple episodes of a modern play on Wizard of Oz called Emerald City. That came out. He, but he was not the creator. So as far as the, the look and feel of the show was not his to play with. Um, but he's uh-huh. also responsible for a number of fantasy films, including The Cell, uh, The Fall. Which, if you are not familiar with The Fall, that's a criminally underrated fantasy film. Mirror, Mirror, and Selfless. Uh, Tarzan Singh is the director. Yeah, the dude's got a crazy style. I've seen the cell. I don't think I've seen the fall. The fall. It, I don't know why it didn't really hit. I, I must have. I think it came out at the same time as some like really big tentpole blockbuster films. But it's from like early to mid two thousand, like maybe two thousand five, two thousand seven is when it came out. And Lee Pace is this uh, stuntman, like cowboy stuntman that he he hurt his leg, and he's also like recently heartbroken, and like his girl left him, and. uh, he starts weaving this crazy fantasy story that he's the hero of uh, to this little like immigrant girl who is there because she fell off of a ladder picking oranges. This is in like Southern California in the like 1920s. And, uh, and so she's there recovering and, and he's telling her these stories in exchange for her to going and getting him uh, drugs. Yeah. Criminally underrated. I love it. Does it have like uh, big fish vibes? Not quite as whimsical as big fish. Uh, it's definitely got that like artistic drama vibe to it. You know, there's, there's really interesting mm-hmm. camera choices and the, there's definitely some of that ridiculous nature in the story kind of moments, but overall it's, yeah, just way more of a, of a drama approach to it. And, uh, Nice. Yeah, so I, I think Tarzan, to have that tapestry of Wizard of Oz to kind of play with in that same way would be super interesting at, at best, you know, or, or at least. And uh, yeah. Agreed. Set against the backdrop of like a crumbling of 
capitalist America, I think would be an interesting movie. So, so that's my take. Oz is mildly yeah. horrific. <laughs> exactly. Oz looks a little bit like Dark Souls. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, that's my tragic Wizard of Oz remake. Reimagining, I guess. Uh, what are you looking at? You're doing Turn of the Century, right? Uh, uh, so my setting is Turn of the Century, yes. Um, as the wonderful Wizard of Oz was. Uh, and my influence is actually the Wizard of Oz movie, kind of. But really... The thing that uh, inspired me was I, I just watched The Wiz recently in preparing for this and just practical effects, just having stuff on the camera, but also having your production look like an opulent stage play. So not having it be an opulent stage play necessarily, but like having like amazingly uh, drawn like backgrounds and having um huge numbers of actual people on on stage uh, i want it to be super theatrical and crazy lush and also influenced by the turn of the century style uh there was a design an architectural design called the bow arts style that dominated that era where everything is huge and like neoclassic and there's statues everywhere and like ornate shit just as far as the eye can see um, I want the movie to feel like an expensive hotel. I want Oz to feel like an expensive nice. hotel. Uh, I want the costumes inside of Oz to be opulent and ornate. I want this thing to be beautiful. And because of that, I'm going to start with my director. This is a Boz Lerman production. And if you don't know what Boz Lerman is, Boz Lerman did The Great Gatsby and Moulin Rouge, uh, Romeo and Juliet, and is uh, soon going to be, there's trailers out for it, doing an Elvis biopic with Tom Hanks that looks bad. Uh, it looks really bad. Yeah. I had not heard about that, and I cannot imagine that would be anything but interesting. So maybe it will be bad, but it will definitely be interesting. I know you can never tell until it's actually out, but yeah, there's there's some choices just in the trailer that are like, okay, <laughs> all right, Boz, like... <laughs> Oh, so as not a huge antic Elvis fan, I am all the way here for it. Because he's he's an interesting character. I'm well, I'm the, here for it. The part that is like, are you fucking kidding me? Is that it? Like 1968, Martin Luther King gets shot, and he, Elvis is like refusing to go on because he's like, you know, you know, it's up to us to say something about this. And then his like manager being like, <laughs> it's not our job, and he's like pissed. I'm like. Elvis was racist. Like as he, fuck. Yeah. He was super like, racist. I'm gonna take these, like, these darkies music and make a million dollars. He's Elvis Presley is not sitting there lamenting like the, the assassination of, uh, of Martin Luther <laughs> King and being like, no, we've got to stand for something. And this is what we stand for. No, no, yeah, he's not Johnny cash. He's as Elvis Presley. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Willie Nelson. Oh, he's Elvis Presley. Exactly. Yeah. So that it's in the trailer and it's like, Oh n no, no, are you really trying to make Elvis a civil rights <laughs> figure? That's who. Yeah, uh, it's the traditional style of uh, of biopic making to uh, lionize your star. Uh, that's oh, the way they sure. made him back in the fifties or whatever. But uh, Boz Lerman's style—the biggest influence for his style, as reported by Boz Lerman, is Bollywood. Seeing oh, yeah. the lush, gigantic, uh, and specifically 
uncool uh, movies that people are enjoying. They're, they they get outside of their own heads and then just enjoy how ridiculous, goofy, and uncool this is. Um, I want the, the the spectacle level, not because the movie's ridiculous or hugely funny, anything like that, because of the spectacle, because of how lush and colorful and the setting it is. I want to focus on that, and I want it to be something that you look at and are not even conscious about it trying to achieve any level of cool. It's just lush, beautiful, and goofy because of how garish it is. Uh, so this is fully Boz Lerman's Wizard of Oz. Um, musical numbers just overblown in every way. Like I said, as practical as you can get under the circumstances. I want lots and lots of practical uh, on stage. And yes. so I want something that's like the great Zigfield or mm-hmm. uh, Buzz, Busby Berkeley, like production number, not in the water. Maybe some of it will be, but just a million people on stage, lots of sparkling elements, uh, fully gilded age. Nice. Uh, as far as the story, like I'm, I'm hewing very closely to what happened in the wonderful Wizard of Oz uh, so it'll be kind of like the movie, but with more violence, because those books are ridiculously violent. There is some stuff in the books that is on the verge of a uh, macabre or gross. Nice. We'll have some of those elements in there. Like, uh, you, you know, the Tin Man's origin is that uh, the Wicked Witch cursed his axe to chop up his body into little pieces. And then each chop was replaced by a, a mechanic or tin element. Um, and then later on in one of the other books, his body, and there's another 10 person in the, the books, their body parts were combined to be the new husband of the woman that the Tin Man loved uh, instead of the Tin Man. So this Frankenstein Jesus. made from his body and somebody else's body became the new husband of the woman the Tin Man loved, which is wow. why his body was chopped into pieces. So I, I want th- that level of, uh, of macabre in there. Also, in the original story, they murder a bunch of people and animals and stuff. All that stuff will be in there. Um, another change I'm making, uh, the, munch- the munchkins are not going to be little people. Um, because in the book, the munchkins aren't little people. Uh, they're, I think, presented as being the height of Dorothy in the book. Um, they're just going to be people that live in munchkin land. Uh, Fair. I thought about doing like a Peter Jackson's Hobbits kind of thing, but... I just I decided to take that element out altogether. And I think the sure. Munchkins have a uh, a particular color. Each land of Oz has a color that represents that land. I think for the Munchkins, it might be blue. So um, just a really true, bright, like uh, satin blue uh, defines Munchkin land. Like uh, I want this nice. aesthetic to uh, really, really pop. And uh, if you, like a, if you want to any separation of like them just not being normal folk. Um, you can always do some like very mildly dysmorphic, like change to their body where the, you know, their eyes are a little bigger or that, you know, their chin is stretched out a little bit more. Yeah. To make them fantasy like, people. Curve. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't have to do much. So, yeah. So, uh, as far as casting goes for my Dorothy, uh, I have, Oh, I should say that this take, if I didn't say it earlier, is not uh, Oz is real. It, there's no fantasy element that separate or 
imaginary element that separates Oz from the real world. Oz is real. Um, I did not cast Dorothy's family or anybody from the real world because they're not really important to the story. That's, it's, that's just um, a vehicle to get us to Oz. So there's not really that much focus presented on the Kansas portion of the story. Okay. Uh, uh, Dorothy is Bella Ramsey, who was Leanna Mormont on Game of Thrones. Mm, She's the, okay. the, the tough little uh, queen who killed the giant in like one of the last episodes. Yeah. Which was yeah, awesome. yeah. And she's going to be Ellie in uh, HBO's the last of us series. Oh, nice. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, the witch of the North is going to be Gabrielle union. Um, I love her voice. She is my, one of oh, my yeah. favorite voices in media. Uh, if you don't know who she is, she was in bring it on. She's all that. I recently discovered that people don't know who Gabrielle union is. And I was surprised for some reason. I didn't know that she was just black famous. I thought she was regular famous, but yeah, she's just black famous. But uh, well, she no, was if you like film. I think it just movies. If you're a movie fan, you're going to know who Gabrielle Union is that I think if you're just a casual viewer of film, uh, maybe not, I guess, as a white. I don't know. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I just I love her voice and it, it has a magical quality to it. I think she'd be a very good witch of the north just from hearing her. Uh, the witch of the west is Uma Thurman. I know she doesn't act much in the modern time, but she is striking in a way that I think that she would be perfect for that role. Nice. Uh, the Scarecrow is Keegan-Michael Key because he's theatrical, <laughs> and I just I can see him in that role. He'll he'll bring uh, levity in a way that will... Because like I said, this is not a comedy per se. It will have comedic elements, but sure. just the energy that Keegan-Michael Key brings will be perfect for that role, I think. Sure, I agree. Uh, the Tin Woodsman. Yeah. The Tin Woodsman is Chris Pratt. Everybody knows who Chris Pratt is at this point. Mm-hmm. He is the all-American uh, corn-fed farm boy. Um, but I think that his uh, his positive nature, this natural big heart, uh, makes him a perfect fit to be the Tin Woodsman. Uh, nice. The Lion is uh, in the archetype that you presented, which is... Uh, Big cuddly black guy, uh, Winston Duke, Mbaku, uh, and the I, father from us is my lion. Uh, I think he will crush that role. He's just, he's a big dude, but he's so vuncular, uh, so welcoming. And yeah, I feel absolutely. like he would fiercely defend his, his group from uh, any threat, which in both the movie and the book, the lion, oh, I'm scared. But yeah, he's a lion and he does not ultimately take shit. Uh, Winston yeah. Duke as the lion. That was the craziest so, uh, thing was to see interviews after watching, you know, Black Panther was my first time of knowing him like as Winston Duke, you know, like this, uh-huh. it was such a great role. Uh, and he's so intimate, intense and intimidating in the movie. And then you see the roles, uh, his conversations, interviews, and he's just light and, and, friendly and just very sweet like, guy. vibrant yeah vibrant personality i'm like okay cool i knew that was a good role like he acted well but he acted really well if this is his, his normal uh persona is yeah, yeah no no I, I really like him i think he uh he's got a a bright future because he's he's a big dude but he's such a nice guy um he and th- there's another actor that'll come up later uh they're going to be vying for roles for a long time nice uh, the Wizard of Oz. This was really interesting to me. I 
I wanted to uh, go for the um, the huckster salesman vibe and also somebody who could be from the Midwest. Um, and this gentleman does not act a lot in the modern time, but just once I once he came to my mind, he, I, I could think of no one else as perfect for the role. Robert Downey Jr. is the Wizard of Oz uh, oh, in wow. my movie. Nice. And he is really just selling it. He's he's bebopping and scatting all over the place in the only yeah, the yeah. way that Robert Downey uh, Jr. can do. <laughs> nice. Uh, Glenda, the Good Witch of the South. Uh, so in the book, actually, the Good Witch of the North that Dorothy meets at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the story and Glenda, the Good Witch of the South are two different characters. And in the movie, they, they just made that one character. But the Good Witch of the oh, North okay. is different from the Good Witch of the South. So Glenda, the Good Witch of the South, the one that gets Dorothy home, is Janelle Monae. Uh, nice. I just like Janelle Monae. I think she's she's kind of uh, and like fantastically elfish. She's beautiful. She has a lovely voice. And uh, she's got kind of a magnetic presence. Mm-hmm. Um, she just uh, she screams fantasy being to me. So th- that is my cast for the Wizard of Oz. I'm not making, like I said, I'm not making any significant changes to the story. Sure. Uh, the focus is on the opulence. Of course, the through line is what it is in the books, which is no matter what you're going through or your quirks or who you are as an individual, you are special. You can achieve the things that you want to achieve. Um, yeah. And that is Boz Lerman's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Nice. Excellent. I I dig it. Uh, Boz is one of those directors that if it's the right material, it's going to be time. It, well, not Thomas, but it's going to end up being like a, at least a, a cult classic. Uh-huh. Um, so I think, yeah, I, Wizard, Wizard of Oz is definitely in that wheelhouse of things that could be done by Boz relatively well. Elvis, not so much. But, but I, I definitely I mean, am we're, seeing. We're still going to see it eventually. It's going to be on the list. Of, it's it's going to be the kind of movie that is either going to be so ridiculous, such a train wreck that you have to see it, or such a beautiful spectacle that you still have to see it. So, yep. And it's either it just depends on whether or not you have to have booze or or something on on with you <laughs> while watching it or not is the, the main difference, really. If you need friends there to roast it with you is the uh the question <laughs> so for, for my uh we're, we're now into the remix version i'm sorry um <laughs> you gotta I, stop i do really need to stop um <laughs> so for this one i wanted i uh, actually it was the informing of the the like uh the black and white to color that made me uh think of this director in the first place and uh so I'm just going to real quick go through it because there's it's a pretty like, of course, um, casting for, for this. Um, and it's basically just weird looking white people uh, is what, <laughs> what I cast for this one. Um, so this is going to be a very muted, uh, very quiet and uh, almost chilling uh, tale of Wizard of Oz. It's uh, it's going to be. A horror, a horror movie for sure, uh, but a bit more of a like a dramatic horror kind of approach to it. Uh, we've got for Dorothy, um, yeah, there. Candace sucks. It's terrible. It's in black and white. You go to to Oz, and it's that muted, like uh, single tone, like damp 
color spectrum. Uh, so it's not like this bright thing. It's it's almost like what I would love. Almost there's a single light that is from a certain direction um, that all the shots are informed by which way Emerald City is. And then you just have this mm-hmm. like kind of like eerie green glow that is what just sets this slight tone of green to like a bleached out color. Uh, Makes everything look a little bit sickly. A little bit sickly. That Emerald City is almost like what is giving any color to this like wasteland. For Dorothy, Anna Taylor-Joy, because she looks like an alien. And uh, <laughs> that's what we're going for. Uh, she's beautiful in a very weird way. Um, yeah. And I'm, she's, I'm here for she's it. She's like but... 75% eyes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So she's weird, scary, still hot for somehow. Um, Dorothy, <laughs> and uh, that's gonna be like a young young adult Dorothy, like early twenties, as the range that I was thinking that. Um, and then we've got the Wizard or Professor Marvel, I guess was also his name, and we're going Willem Dafoe as just like this <laughs> crotchety, like kind of creepy, but also like you might also like want him to be your dad. Like, it's just a very weird uh, approach to the character. Then See him in for... Nightmare Alley? Oh, he was fantastic in Nightmare Alley. Yeah, he was great. That, I, uh, that, that's the thing that I'm latching on to and thinking about Willem Dafoe in that role. Yeah, it wouldn't be far off, honestly, because it is, it's Huckster. It's, uh, it's a little, little creepy, a little cagey, but also, like, there is a warmth to him in that role, too. So, yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. Um, then we've got Scarecrow or Hunk, uh, depending on where you are. I initially thought of a, another actor, but then watching this kid in Power of the Dog, uh, Cody Smith McPhee as the yeah. Scarecrow. He, he was the, the young boy in, uh, in Power of the Dog. He is creepy looking. Um, <laughs> he's, he's got like a, like a Victorian ghost kind of vibe to him a little bit. <laughs> Uh, that I thought would be interesting. He's consumptive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought as the scarecrow, that'd be kind of interesting to have him play this almost like ethereal character uh, version of the scarecrow. As like, it's not that he's dumb. He's just like, he might be a ghost. Like you're, you're not sure. <laughs> um, then we've got the cowardly lion. And I wanted somebody that had like an intensity to him, but also could come off as like, is this dude like intense and cool or is he like super creepy and shifty and like keep the young girl away from him kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I went with Michael Fassbender, but much with a uh, shame being one of the informing uh, choices for having him in this role. Um, but he's not also, creepy he, looking. He's, he's one of the sexiest men alive. No, he's incredibly, but that's the <laughs> thing is that if you've seen shame, that there's a way that he takes that like intense, handsome, people are fawning over him, but he turns it in a way that it goes creepy. Like it comes off as just like, like not great. Um, Oh, I can definitely see his intensity, like sliding over into uh, like just uh, threatening basically. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's more the, more the dichotomy that I want to explore with cowardly lion in this version of it is uh, yes. Sexy to creepy ratios there. Um, Then we got the tin man. And uh, this actor has worked with the director um, recently and a fantastic director. He's getting kind of a renaissance right now, which good for him. Um, he never fully went away, but it's just, you know, he's in that new, like a good bump in his career right now is uh, Ethan Hawke. Nice. I thought as like the, the like 
listless, uh, heartbroken, like stare off into the distance, uh, Tin Man character. And then we've got for Glenda, she is basically like a, a good witch. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she just started levitating during an interview or something and just like flew off into the into the night. Um, she's she's a little little pixie wizard person. Tilda Swinton, I think, would be <laughs> a good Glenda. Yeah, um, Tilda Swinton may actually just be a magical being in real life <laughs> or right. an alien. Like she doesn't come to set. She just appears at set. Um, yeah, she, she can't be a real person. Mm-hmm. And so then, like, we didn't, we didn't actually cast you. And she's like, but I am here nonetheless. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Make room for me, dear. Um, <laughs> and then I have two ways of going about this. Either for the wicked witch, you have Tilda playing the wicked witch as well, which I thought would be an interesting thing to see her play like two different characters, but like have them as like yeah. twins or something. I uh, would be interesting. But then also, I just wanted like a like a rageful intensity to this version of the Wicked Witch that I thought would be very fun to come from Gwendolyn Christie, because yeah, in real in real life she's a sweetie pie. She's such a sweetheart, but she can get intense. I mean, she can definitely do intense. So I thought that would be yeah, and she is physically imposing. Yes, yeah, and uh, so the person helming this uh, ragtag bunch of creepy people is uh or at least very di- interesting looking people is the one and only Robert Eggers uh from The Witch, The Lighthouse and more recently The Northman that looks uh, yeah. incredible. So uh I love I love his movies. I love them. Absolutely. Yep. It's there's such a it's lost in a lot of modern um American made films especially is the importance of uh silence in a scene is that so many directors try to fill a scene with so much noise and action that it keeps the audience interested, but you're missing all that buildup. You're missing all that um, intensity by having moments that have like a, a pause or a silence, just like a half beat too long to make things yeah. feel uncomfortable. And, and you let the audience fill that space with their own tension. Yeah. Creating and their I, own tension. You got a bit of that in the witch, but really that, was explored so much more in the lighthouse of just this, like, like suffocating a uh, feeling of, of discomfort in some of those scenes. It was incredible. And, uh, I thought it'd be interesting in, in, a, in a high, a high fantasy kind of element to explore that kind of approach of these Definitely. people that don't, don't fucking know each other that are just on this, on this, you know, piss yellow brick road, uh, to the, uh, to the Emerald city. And, are just like really uncomfortable around each other the whole time. And they don't really trust each other. And there's this like impending sense of doom that builds as you get closer to the city. And uh, I I think it'd be really interesting to see what such an auteur like Robert Edgars could do in that space. So yeah, I would love that. Like it's an a 24 style picture. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Love it. Oh, so much. Uh, So what do you got for your remix? All right, for my remix, uh, I am doing something that is incredibly meta. So my remix uh, exists in a world where Baz Luhrmann's The Wizard of Oz became the biggest movie of all time. (laughs) Bigger than Avatar, bigger than Endgame. And because it was so big and because it had such a large public cachet, uh, this is a movie 
called The Making of Baz Luhrmann's The Wizard of Oz. And in this meta universe, even though the movie was huge and a giant spectacle and a great success, it was a shit show. The whole production thing was a shit show, making it super interesting. The public wants to see this. This is a mockumentary style picture, you know, kind of that, that Christopher Guest style. But I wanted somebody modern to direct it. So we're starting with the director here. Uh, my director is Greg Daniels, who uh, directed episodes of The Office and Parks and Rec. Okay. He wrote okay. on SNL. He wrote on Seinfeld, The Simpsons, King of the Hill. Uh, but because he's done some of that mockumentary style on television uh, and he's done some of the best television in that style ever made and some of the best television ever made, I wanted to use Greg Daniels as the director for this. Uh, so we'll go straight to the cast. The, the, the plot is, like I said, it's, it's about this hilarious shit show that was the making of this movie. It actually has the original cast of the movie uh, as cameos in the movie. Like there'll be a conference call or whatever with the original cast and Boz Lerman is actually in the movie. Nice. Um, but uh, the cast is uh, as Boz Lerman, uh, Christoph Waltz is Boz Lerman <laughs> in the making Great. of Boz Lerman's Great. The Wizard of Oz. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he was in Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards. I think he might have won an Oscar for both roles. Um, he definitely he's didn't awesome. earn one for his role in Green Hornet, but. Uh. <laughs> yeah and uh he's he's hilarious he's got great comic timing um i think he'll work out really well uh as bella ramsey who was dorothy and my other take uh aubrey francis anderson emmons she is lily tucker pritchett on modern family which is the daughter of the uh, the gay couple uh she is she's got kind of a disaffected vibe mm -hmm. and but but I think that she will work out well in this comedy, and she looks a little bit like uh, Bella Ramsey. That should be fun. Uh, the Wicked Witch of the North, uh, who was uh, Gabrielle Union, and my other take mm -hmm. is Aisha Tyler. So Aisha Tyler as Gabrielle <laughs> Union. Uh, Aisha Great. Tyler, Lana Kane on Archer. She's been on a show called Criminal Minds for like seven years, or she was. Uh, she, she I've was never a black watched person that show. With I, friends. I no she's just around. Wait, but, she, uh, was she's, she on Friends? I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, she dated Ross on Friends. She was. She dated Ross for like half a season or a third of a season or something. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Cool. There, there was yeah. a black person on Friends. I don't for remember a very that. short um, period of time. <laughs> Ross brought brought all the the minorities to Friends. He he almost married an Asian woman. The only minorities on Friends were people that Ross brought in in his academic space. Uh, as cool. Glenda, <laughs> as uh, as Glenda, who was uh, Janelle Monet in my serious take, Nicole Bahari. Now you probably don't know who she is, but she starred in a movie called Miss Juneteenth in 2020, which was my favorite movie of that year. Uh, she was the lead on the Sleepy Hollow TV show. She oh, okay. uh, she's cute and vivacious. And uh, she's dating Michael Fassbender, so they both have interesting tastes. I, I like that. I like that a lot. And because Janelle Monae is kind of a cute pixie-ish woman, I, or uh, Nicole Bahari is not pixie-ish. She is small, but she has a different energy. But I like it. I, like Miss Juneteenth is incredibly impressive. Like my favorite movie, 2020. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. 
as Glenda, nice. the Wicked Witch, who was Uma Thurman. Yeah, uh, Uma Thurman in my serious take is Elizabeth Debicki, another tall, lanky, blonde woman. Uh, she is the Aisha, the Queen of the Sovereign in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Oh, uh, she yeah. was the woman in Tenet. She's been in a lot of stuff, and she's striking. You can't miss her because she's like six foot five or something ridiculous. Jesus. Uh, I think that she's a decent actress, but just physically, she, she puts me in mind of Uma Thurman. Uma's gorgeous. Definitely has like an effeminence to her, but it's also like a large person. Like is, yeah, she's not little. She, she's a tall and unique, uh, woman. Yeah. Uh, for the lion, uh, we have Brian Tyree Henry, who is the other guy who would be vying with, um, uh, What's his face for the roles? The same roles uh, with Winston Duke. Winston Duke and Brian Tyree Henry. I can see oh, a future where okay. they're like vying for the same roles. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry was in Atlanta, Andrew the Spider Verse, The Eternals. Okay. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff, and he, he's he's got a he's really charming. I like him, but he's got big dad energy in oh, addition to days. all the other things that he can do as an actor on screen. Uh, so. <sighs> He's playing Winston Duke. Uh, I keep saying the line, but he's playing Winston Duke. <laughs> and you have to remember that these people are playing these other people, but these other people are in the movie as cameos. So there's interaction there between these actors playing them and uh, the actual actors. Uh, as the yeah. Tin Man, we have Jesse Plemons. Uh, Jesse Plemons was in Power of the Dog. He's also known as Fat Damon. And he's playing or meth, Chris meth Pratt. Meth Damon, because he was in Breaking or, Bad. Or Meth Damon. But yeah, he's playing Chris Pratt. Jesse Plemons as Chris Pratt. <laughs> great. As, as, great the scarecrow, is. <laughs> as the scarecrow, and this is where like some ridiculous comedy comes in. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key was the scarecrow in the biggest movie of all time, but there's an actor who really wanted to be the scarecrow and he's a big enough actor that he kind of pushed his way into the movie. So as Keegan-Michael Key, we have Jeff Goldblum, is Keegan Michael Key, <laughs> and this becomes a a thing, oh, a through wow. line through the movie where this is so Keegan Michael Key actually has a bigger role in this movie than the other actors from the original movie, as he's kind of pushing back against the fact that Jeff Goldblum stars as him in this movie, uh, and it's a running through line to the movie. Another thing that gets a little pushback from the actor that uh, starred in the role is the Wizard of Oz, or Robert Downey Jr. As Robert Downey Jr., we have Benedict Cumberbatch. And he's doing this oh, take wow. on Robert Downey Jr. that Robert Downey Jr. does not appreciate. Uh, so that becomes not a running through line because they can't get Robert Downey Jr. on long enough, a shooting schedule to uh, be throughout the movie. He's just like a cameo scene. But sure. the fact that Robert Downey Jr. is displeased keeps coming up over and over again over the course of the movie. So, of course, we have things like a phone call with the original cast and Boz Lerman. Uh, and the, the cast of this movie, hilarity ensues. The hilarity of the production ensues. Uh, at the end, the movie that is made in this pretend movie or this uh, this mockumentary is not The Wizard of Oz. It's not the pretend movie they're making. It doesn't end up being Boz Lerman's The Wizard of Oz. It ends up being called The Smartest Man in the Room, Scarecrow Story, starring Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Because he overtakes the Great. production, yeah, and, and that yeah. is uh, that is my uh, that's my alternate take. 
Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. That's yeah. Very yeah. Mockumentary version of the movie. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah, using your same actors from your first pitch is also a brilliant choice. I love that. Um, and that brings us to the last little bit of, uh, of storytelling that we have for you here on this episode. And that is our trailers for this one. I think for mine, um, it would be more fun for me to go with the Robert Eggers version of it. Uh, I think I'm going to do the uh, the mockumentary, Boz Lerman's The Wizard of Oz. Okay. All right, so let me get some music queued up here. In a town... Trapped in time, a young girl named Dorothy tries to find her way out. But the doors that open before her are not the ones that she expected. This fall, Robert Eggers, director of The Witch, The Lighthouse, and The Northman, takes us on a journey to Oz. The wizard, played by Willem Dafoe, is the only person that can bring back Dorothy, played by Anna Taylor-Joy, to her land, Kansas. <laughs> uh, with the help of Scarecrow, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, the Cowardly Lion, played by Michael Fassbender, and the Tidman, played by Ethan Hawke, Dorothy must find her way to the Emerald City and to her home. And standing in the way is the Wicked Witch of the West, played by Gwendolyn Christie. Will the powers of Glenda protect young Dorothy? Will the Tin Man find a heart? Will the lion fight against the evils in, in the darkness? <laughs> we will find out in Robert Edgar's The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Yay. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, see this Wizard of Oz movie that's definitely going to have a Jism reference in there somewhere. Oh, I mean, there's going to be where they like walk in on the cowardly lion jerking one out real quick before everybody wakes up. You know, he's just like by the smoking fire, like the fire's gone out and it's just smoldering and he's sitting there just tugging at it, looking at Dorothy. And then she wakes up and he's like, oh, nothing. All right. So next up, we've got uh, we've got your take here. And this is going to be your uh, your Boz Ler- Lerman uh, jam. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. This okay. The, the so. Boz Lerman jam. Bigger than Avengers Endgame, bigger than Avatar, as big as all of Oz. Boz Lerman's The Wizard of Oz strides our pop cultural landscape like a colossus, and only now can its thrilling story be told. Join the original cast and Aubrey Francis Anderson Emmons as Bella Ramsey, Chris Waltz as Boz Lerman, Nicole Bahari as Janelle Monet, Elizabeth Debicki as Uma Thurman, Jesse Plemons as Chris Pratt. Brian Tyree Henry as Winston Duke, Aisha Tyler as Gabrielle Union, Benedict Cumberbatch as Robert Downey Jr., Jeff Goldblum as Keegan-Michael Key. A show about a shit show that can't help but make for a wonderful world of hard feelings. The making of Boz Lerman's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So we got mockumentary and uh, horrifying, jarring uh, horror movie. Cool. So that's a little, little uh, palate cleanser. That's what we put out. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we put out into the world there for everybody. So 
Um, yeah, that, this was definitely a a journey into Oz for sure. Uh, if you have your own ideas on who should be cast or what kind of tone a Wizard of Oz remake should have, then definitely hit us up. Uh, Geeks on the Influence at gmail.com. Just put Smack My Pitch Up or SMPU in the, or Pitch Smacked in the subject line, whatever. Just let us know that it's for the show and uh, enjoy the conversation. Also hit our social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Let us know what you think about this episode or other episodes as well. If you have an idea for a future episode, please reach out. Let us know what you want to hear uh, because, yeah, that that helps. That helps us not have to come up with shit as much. So we're already coming up with so much on this show anyway. So it's, Help it's us help you. Exactly. And uh, definitely check out GUIPodcast.com to the links for all the shows on the network. Check out my handle is Jonathan Blade from Tondi. And, yeah, I'll probably uh, be dropping an episode this week. Sweet. Excellent. So um, tons of content for you here. So definitely make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that cool stuff you do to podcasts. And we'll find you next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Tondi Woodard. And uh, you, you, smacked a, you smacked someone with a pitch. I think that's... Smack my pitch up. No. And we're sued. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Lawsuit. Cool. com. Mike the Hobbit here. Lowdown Brown. Inviting you to check out Geek Some of the Influence, a podcast that pairs booze with conversation with good friends. And a little nerd culture. We get a lot of colorful conversation out of our episodes, but... It is here for everyone. No gatekeeping. Always level up everything we do. We'll punch up, never punch down. Exactly. So check out Geeks Under the Influence everywhere you get your podcasts and join us or die. Shut the fuck up, Hobbit. Welcome to GUI Nights. GUI Nights. Yeah, I am Lowdown Brown. With me as always... Mike the Hobbit. This is the tangential side of GUI. This is like so many of those other shows that has the after the show bit mixed with a little bit of Baywatch night, so it's a little sexier. It's a little bit after hours. Also, while tying it into the previous episode of GUI, so look forward to that too, because this comes out the week after the flagship hour-long episode. So make sure to check out GUI nights, and uh, when you're done, you can go the fuck home. My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. Hey guys, Scotty P here with Smash on your left. And we are the Geek Fathers. That's right, bringing all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So welcome to our world. And as always, join us or cry. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. In a world of blockbuster movies, there's another dimension. The dimension of schlock cinema. 
Join us at Beautiful Disasters on a journey into the fringe territory of B-movie abandon. We review the flicks that are forgotten or underappreciated to give them a proper place in the annals of celluloid history. I'm the Groots. F.U. Hunter. Your guides at Beautiful Disasters. Come along with us for a fun ride. May May the the schlock be with you. you.